Our scripture reading this morning, these words which the choir has just sung over us, are from Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For God will command the angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me I will answer them. I will be with them in times of trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts, together in this place and in all places, be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our salvation. Amen. I wonder this morning how many of you might be willing to admit that you can sometimes feel afraid of the dark. It's true, isn't it, that darkness can transform even an ordinary, everyday space into something that seems radically different than it does in the light of day. For instance, a child's bedroom can be filled with laughter and wonder and imagination in the daylight. But in the dark, every squeak and creak can be nightmare-inducing to a child trying to fall asleep. But it isn't only children who have this fear of the dark, right? It's actually pretty common among us, affecting at least 11% of the population, which makes the fear of the dark even more prevalent than the fear of heights. But what is it that we are really afraid of? Is it really the dark or the absence of light? Or is it bigger than that? Psychologist Alicia Clark explains that darkness impairs our vision, which makes us inherently uncomfortable. But we are not so much afraid of the dark as we are afraid of what could be in the dark that we cannot see. And so when we are in the dark, our minds begin to fill themselves with all kinds of possibilities about what might be lurking around the corner, what in the world might be making that creaking sound, or what could be hiding in the closet or underneath the bed. And interestingly enough, this way of thinking has actually been passed down to us for generations. 
Another psychologist at the Einstein College of Medicine in New York says that the fear of the dark is likely evolutionary. After all, our earliest ancestors were more at risk of being confronted by predators in the dark, when enemies could get best catch people by surprise. So this fear has truly legitimate origins, and it has been passed down to us ever since. Here we are, all these years later, and not that much has changed, has it? And yet somehow, the darkness is also this harsh reality of our world. Something inevitable that we will experience, not only literally in the ways that day flows into night and night into morning, not only on days like today that are just kind of dark and gloomy outside, but also in ways that feel a lot heavier than that. Our world feels dark right now, doesn't it? Our hearts are heavy for Ukraine in these days. The headline across my computer screen last night read in large black letters, no power or water, no way to collect the dead. And it doesn't get much darker than that, does it? This morning it read, fastest growing refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. We don't have to look very far to find darkness in the world around us, do we? And I would imagine that you don't have to look very far to find it in your own life either. But it seems that the psalmist is well acquainted with the darkness when they wrote these words from the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some translators interpret these words to say, Even though I walk through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid. But whatever the translation, notice that the psalmist does not pray for the darkness to be taken away. The psalmist does not pray for the light to come or for something to extinguish the dark, but rather for the courage not to be afraid, to trust in God's faithful and abiding presence with them, even in the dark. And if I could summarize my hope for us, Highland, this Lenten season, it would be that when the world around us feels dark, when we can't seem to find the road ahead of us, when it seems like hope has completely lost its way, that we might take a moment to pause, that we would learn to abide in the shadows of the holy hidden God who meets us here and who is with us always, Even when the world feels so very dark, even from dusk until dawn. You see, I can't help but wonder if over time we have somehow set up this false dichotomy that everything in the light is good and everything in the dark is bad. I think of 
the, the, the Lion King and giving the instructions to young Simba. See, everything that the light touches, and it is good. <laughs> but way back there in the darkness, that is bad. Our job is to flee the darkness and to stay as close to the light as possible. But this dichotomy, it feels toxic and not always right. Barbara Brown Taylor, whose book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, has inspired our Lenten series, points out that at a theological level, this dichotomy creates all sorts of problems. She writes, it tucks all the sinister stuff into the dark part, identifying God with the sunny part and leaving you to deal with the rest on your own time. It implies things about dark-skinned people that are not true. Worst of all, it offers people of faith a giant closet in which they can store everything that threatens or frightens them without having to think too much about any of those things. To embrace this kind of teaching can result in a kind of spirituality, she says, called full solar spirituality. It deals with the darkness by denying its existence, or at least depriving it of any meaningful attention, since it focuses on staying in the light of God around the clock, both absorbing it and reflecting the sunny side of faith. She says, you can usually recognize a full solar spirituality church by its emphasis on the benefits of faith, which are a sure sense of God's presence, a certainty of belief, divine guidance in absolutely all things, and reliable and consistent answers to prayer. Members of solar-powered churches strive to always be positive in attitude, firm in conviction, and unwavering in faith. She says, if you've ever belonged to such a community, however, you may have discovered that the trouble starts when darkness falls on your life, which can happen to us in any number of ways. The first time you speak of such things in a full solar church, you might usually get a hearing, but continue to speak on them, and you may be reminded that God will not let you be tested beyond your strength. God won't give you anything more than what you can handle. And if you don't get the message sooner or later, it will be made explicit for you that the darkness is your own fault because you do not have enough faith. She says, having been on the receiving end of this verdict more than once, I do not think it as mean as it sounds. The people who said it to me had honestly offered me the best they had. Since their sunny spirituality had not given them any skills for operating in the dark, I had simply exhausted their resources. They could not enter into the dark without putting their own faith at risk. And so they stood there where I could still hear them and begged me to come back to the light. If I could have, I would have, she writes. But my spiritual gifts do not seem to include the gift of solar spirituality. Instead, I've been given the gift of a lunar spirituality in which the divine light available to me waxes and wanes with the season All in all, 
The moon that changes in form each and every night is a truer mirror for my soul than the sun that looks the same way every single day. She says later, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again. So there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. You see, as many negative experiences as you and I might have from the darkness... If you think about it for a moment, I would venture to guess that you can probably name some experiences in the dark that have radically changed your life. Now, this certainly isn't to say that everything happens for a reason or some other cliche idea of a solar-powered spirituality. But rather it is to say that the darkness can also be a divine teacher to us if we let it. As our friend Wendell Berry writes, to go in the dark with the light is to know the light. But to know the dark, go dark. Go without sight and find that the dark too blooms and sings and is traveled by dark feet and dark wings. Since I'm inviting us to reflect on our experiences in the darkness this Lent, I thought it was only appropriate for me to begin the season by sharing with you one of my own. As a child growing up with a brittle bone disease, I had too many hospital stays to count, and those long nights in the hospital were always the worst. I could never get good rest with people constantly coming in and out of the room and different monitors buzzing and chirping all night. But the pain tended to get worse at night, too. And once the pain got out of control, it was always so hard to get it back to a more manageable place. And sometimes, in the middle of the night, in a small, dark hospital room it can feel like the pain is going to last forever and that morning will never come. And so I distinctly remember a time when I had woken up in the middle of the night after a difficult surgery and the pain was excruciating. I was crying because I was in so much pain And then my mom started crying because I was in so much pain. And then I started crying because my mom was crying that I was in so much pain. (laughs) And they just couldn't seem to do anything to get the pain under control. But what I also remember about that night is that I allowed myself to ask God some pretty big questions at a fairly young age. Because it was in the middle of this night that I asked God, why? Why was this happening to me over and over and over again? I was angry, I was hurting, and I just wanted to know why. 
You see, it's a question I had not given myself permission to ask before. No one had explicitly told me that I couldn't, but it just seemed off limits. And looking back on it, I realized that it's a question you can only ask from the dark. But on that particular night, things had gotten so out of hand that I gave into the dark and I asked God, why? I didn't get an answer to my question that night. In fact, all these years later, and I never have, because there was and is no sufficient answer to that theological question. But what I did receive that night, I believe, changed the trajectory of my life. The sense of peace came over me. I still remember my mom began singing to me. When words fail, sometimes songs minister to us the best. And somehow in that moment, I knew that God was with me. Even in the pain, even in the dark. And it was in that moment that God became so much more real than what we talked about in the brightness of church on Sunday mornings because God met me in a small, dark hospital room in the middle of the night and reminded me that I was not alone. Highland, what I'm asking us today is that we might have the courage to step into the dark together this Lent. To ask the questions that we can't always ask in the light. To call out the things that we can't always see from the light of day. And to trust that even though we may walk through the valley of the shadow, surely, surely God's love and unfailing mercy will follow us, even in the shadows, even from dusk to dawn. And that in the dark, we are never alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.